everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. Hello there. You're very welcome to episode 12 of season 7 of LOI Central. It's Dan in the hot seat today, as you can tell. Um, Johnny is away this week. You had a bereavement in the family, so we wish Johnny and his family all the best. He will be back, as usual, next week. And I had uh, quite a few Shamrock Rovers and fans inquiring after him. Uh, last night um, he'll be back to, to call the league over he did actually send me one text message last night league over question mark so he's still he's still very much on on brand but um, in his absence we've got we've got Brian Gardner coming in in a while um, but we've got Gary Doyle from the star in studio today Gary um, happy to have you in I, I think my, my thought process behind asking you to come in was um, you've been around the block the journalism game you know you've been to a lot of you've stopped in a different a lot of different clubs you'd be a veteran a journeyman potentially if you're writing about yourself um but you stopped covering the league of ireland like you when i came on the league of ireland scene first um you would have been sort of you'd been working for various places in that sort of early 2000s period which was a bit mad the sort of dolan keely a lot of the the big characters but you sort of stepped away from it you were covering other sports maybe dipping in and out again but you're back covering the league full-time this year so i thought be good to get your perspectives on it because you're you're coming in a little bit fresh but from the perspective of of covering the league itself for a, a long time so it's good to have you in yeah it's funny the, the way you phrase it there because from watching the league this year i'm definitely getting a sense that it's very very similar to that sort of 2004 to 2006 era because if you think back to then a lot of big things were happening in the league at that time dan you had number one the move about a year or two earlier to summer soccer, which was that happened in two thousand and three, and that led to a s- distinct improvement in the quality of matches because there was a huge improvement in the quality of pitches. The other factor around that time was from two thousand and one. You had the first club going full time, which was Bose, and that was quickly followed by Shells. Mm. And by two thousand and three, pretty much everybody was going from the train Tuesday, train Thursday, play Friday night to full-time operation, either, you know, training in the evenings or training during the day. So that was a significant improvement as well. Other factors, Stephen Kenny, young manager, he was 26 when he got his first gig at Longford Town. In that era that we're talking about, he was winning his first league title just after his 30th birthday. Pat Fennan was coming in as young manager. He was 33. Pat Dolan left management at the end of the 2004 season when, when Cork sacked him and he had set up that Cork team that went on to win the yeah. in 05. Pat was 37 and he had already won the league with Pats. He effectively won the league again when the league was taken off Pats because of the Marnie and Livingstone registration. It's not going there today. No, not really. But my point is that he was a dominant figure, not just in terms of his personality, but also in terms of his managerial uh, credentials. So you had, at that time, you had these really top quality, young, fresh managers who were bringing brilliant ideas into the game, who were driving the move to full-time football, who were achieving huge results in Europe. Because if you think back to the 82 to 99 era, Dad, there were three two-legged victories for Irish teams yeah. in Europe. We take it for granted now. But I remember the year when Shelburne defeated Slogo Magnet from Macedonia. And that was a huge deal because it was the first time in ages that had been done. And that led on to sustained success. Like Dolan drove that court team to the victory over Malmo in 2004. A year later, uh, Cork again, this time under Rico, defeated 
defeated uh, Jura Gardens. The year after that, you had the victory by Derry against Gothenburg. So three years in a row, they're beating Swedish teams. Uh, Hajduk Split were a fantastic team. They were defeated by Shelburne in the Champions League. You had Nijmegen from from Netherlands being beaten by Cork City. Irish teams were on the were on the move, were on the charge. There was a real freshness and energy about the League of Ireland. The young players coming through were so exciting, like Wes Houlihan, like Keith Fahey, later on, say, from 2006, Seamus Coleman. Players who have gone on to have brilliant international careers, brilliant careers in general. And you had this feeling that the league was going somewhere. And you have now coming back into it. Yes, yeah, you're coming back around maybe full circle in the sense of I you, definitely there's think young no, managers. There's young managers like I know Tim has lost. Yeah, well let's 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 we'll move on to some of the news of the day because uh, before yeah. before we move on, I need to mention, of course, we're in association with our friends of Future Ticketing, um, who who uh, looked after me at the the races last week, and we'll talk about the horse racing industry in uh in due course with Collar and Cuff as ever. Um, Decky in Glasnevin, you can go down and get your your free shirt and tie with a suit if you mention us and also with Rascals Brewery um, fine pizza beers in Dublin 8 um, very happy to be on board to have Rascals on board with us this year but it, Rascals I suppose is the place um, where St. Patrick's Athletic had their pre-season launch this year where Tim Clancy spoke and um, just before we started today in fairness it was actually Johnny gave us a quick call to say Pats have, a, have announced that Tim Clancy has resigned by mutual consent which is um, one of these terms that uh it, it leaves it leaves a degree of a grey area there, but this is true. Like, but Johnny would always go on about the young managers in the league, and it would be Clancy, it would be Russell, you know, Clancy Higgins O'Donnell, the legal firm, you know, Stephen Bradley, who's 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 actually around the same age as them, but feels like he's been around for longer. John Russell has come into the mix, but yeah, Tim Clancy is is gone, and I suppose you think about it, actually a lot of those young managers you mentioned um, from from the early two thousands, they all had sort of a character building experience at various times of losing a job or having to walk away from a job or whatever it might be um, and that's what's happened here I don't know what your your feeling is about that news Gary I think it's any manager in this league that loses his job I have nothing but sympathy because it, for, for the individual Dan because I think it is a harder job than managing the Premier League when you lose your job in the Premier League you get a 4 million payout at least yeah. you're financially secure you don't get that in the League of Ireland. You're no financial security at all. You've very little job security when you enter management. Now, you could say, right, that's their choice. This is the life they choose. Therefore, you deal with the consequences. But you look at it in a different perspective. They're following their passion. They're going after a career in something that they they believe they can make a difference. They believe they can rise through the ranks, that they can increase the the quality of of their club and of the league and move forward in a in a big way and then all of a sudden a few results go against you and all of a sudden you're you're out of work you're gone yeah i mean i think the thing is with, with clancy and we actually we will go to the mailbag briefly and it sort of has overtaken events because some of the big talking point i would have thought coming in here today would have been shamrock rovers winning in Derry last night and the impact but we did look like, we'll come to the mailbag there's a lot of comments from some pats fans i mean it is crazy. Like they to me are to the fore of the the crowd revolution or however you want to call it. Like there was there was four thousand two hundred people at their game with Sligo Rovers yesterday. And this is after Pats losing a couple of games on the trot. Um I mean they haven't won anything. 
um, you know, the the, the cup in twenty nineteen. I know you've got some you've got some stats. You're you're basically the anti Johnny Ward by coming here with notes and preparations, and you're almost delivering essay length answers here on your on your homework. But every, the point is with Pat's that like they've the the crowd has held up. You know, even though the results have been uh, mixed. You know, now I I mean, look, I I I think Tim Plant's did a brilliant job at Drada. Um, I think at Pats it just it never seemed one hundred percent comfortable for whatever reason. I think they even some of the, the the fan attitude towards him and I don't know I'm not sure what the dynamic has one hundred percent been there. Um but it just feels like it didn't turn out to be the, the easiest fit. Um and for whatever reason I, I feel like it's not a massive surprise this news, although it was still a small bit surprising, like when he had that little bit of difficulty before the mid-season break, or not the mid-season break, the international break, they won all their games out of it. Um, but yeah, um, I, I suppose Pat might be looking at this generally and thinking, you know, they've got something good going on there with the, the atmosphere around the place and they want to try and maintain those good vibes and that's where that's where discussions start that lead to this. But I mean, the Pats crowd story, I mean, that probably is a big change from your time is um, mm. the, the way that the attendances have, have held up. Even, like, remember we, we'd complain about Monday fixtures and how that'd be a complete downer and yet um, the games yesterday didn't really suffer all be at a bank holiday. Yeah, and I'll be as brief as I can here, but that is the huge difference that I've noticed. So let's go back to when Drogba had their golden era, say 05, 06, 07. Their average attendances then were in 05, 1682, in 06, 1751. Then when they won the league in 07, it was 1919. You look at their team now, they're not going to win the league this year. You know, if they avoid relegation, that's a, so a great season. And their average attendance is up over 2000. You look at Bowes, when they won the league uh, those two times under Fenland in 08, 09, their average crowds were just under just under 2,008, just over 2,009. It's now over 4,000, their average attendance. You go to Rovers when they won the league in 2010 and 2011, average crowds, 3,794 and 10, and then in 2011, 3,779. It's now over 6,000. Cork, when they won the league in 2005, average attendance, 3,644. This season is over 4,000. They're ninth. Yeah, no, it's, it's extraordinary. And it's the same for Shelburne. From 04 to now, their crowd is almost double what it was in 2006. And St. Pat's, when they won the league in 2013, their crowd is up by 1,000. That's, that's yeah, you know, it's, something's it's, happening, Dan. No, it is extraordinary. And it's like the, the post-COVID um, boom is a factor in it. But I think uh, probably a lot of us that are cynical enough about the game probably expected a drop-off, and, and it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Even like some of the first division crowds are, are proportionately better. Um, than than they were, so it is, you know, it is good news. Um, but look, I was in Derry for the game against Shamrock Rovers um last night, and I did manage to speak to some people after the game. Um, and first and foremost, I suppose, um, well, not first and foremost, but I suppose a lot of the people locally did want to hear from Murray Higgins after what was a pretty disappointing defeat for for Derry on a big night for them. Um, a performance on my goals. Uh, we lacked any bite and urgency in our play and intensity in the first half which was very surprising after Friday night's performance um, and we've always tried to go toe-to-toe with Shelmer Groves and in the first 45 minutes we were passive we st- stood off him far too much and when you do that to good players and they hurt you um, and they published us and, and the first 45 minutes uh, isn't acceptable 
is that the kind of like someone like Jack and his ability, he's just dropping into pockets a lot of the time and getting on the ball and you sort of avoid trouble if that happens. I I it's uh he's a he's a top player, but uh we didn't let it go well and um and in fairness in previous fixtures between us over the last twelve months in particular, uh we've we've been better against them, we've been more aggressive at our approach and, and um, we certainly didn't plan on sitting off and giving good players time in the ball, that's for sure. Um, but as, as I said, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uphill task uh, when you go three down. If you get in 1-0, which we should have got in, we could have regrouped them out the game, but the second goal have killed us. Um, and then we obviously have chance with Keane Kavanagh and then the penalty to, to try and get back into the game. And, and, but we huffed and puffed and... and and didn't really, uh, didn't really cause them um, enough enough problems to get an angle to the game. So how do you respond to this now? Because like this is built up as if you know a tie of the game, and then you lose. And people probably go home tonight feeling very flat about things. Like what's the what's the message now? I suppose to people. I ah, well, the message is we're we're a third of the way through the season. Um, we're uh, I feel we're going to get better. I think we've. Uh, a lot of players, the a lot of top players, they reintroduced to the team, and um, but we need to respond. We don't have time. We need to respond on Friday, um, and 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 flip the first forty-five uh, minute performance of his head, and, and and go the opposite and be really aggressive and and passion, show more passion and desire to win. And uh, that was the most disappointing thing from tonight's teams. Where are we at with the injured players? Because you are so missed a couple of bodies who. I suppose at central midfield, you might have needed their experience maybe in a game like that. I will, I suppose tonight, unavailable to us was, was patching Michael Inney, Dummig and Connolly. Uh, I was like Keel Harkin, that's long term one, but um, we, need, we, need, we need bodies back. But in saying that, we still had had a team on the pitch that was capable of, of, of producing better than what we, than what we produced here tonight. Yeah, so Gary, I mean, Ray Higgins was pretty, pretty downbeat there. And I think it, the other thing to mention as well, and um, it does come up in the mail, but I think probably a bit of concern about Colin Whelan um, hobbling out of the ground too. And even Stephen Bradley probably commented on that um, in his in his interview. Um, probably a player they wanted to sign and, and, and maybe believing with his injury record, um, the, the, the Bradley Well service may be the, the kindest place um, for him, but... Um, it was a hell of a statement with Shamrock Rovers last night. And the first goal in particular, I think I think the weird thing about Shamrock Rovers is that they probably, I think they have their own reasons for being motivated, but they probably haven't got a huge amount of love for like winning three leagues in a row because when they came to the top of the mountain during COVID or whatever. But in a weird way, I think that's probably great to keep the hunger because I feel like they're always out to try and silence people who haven't given them respect for what they've done. And that means there hasn't been a drop-off. I think that probably suits them. Even last year, the European stuff invited a little bit of scrutiny that was pretty critical, um, and I think they feed off that in a weird way. But they were they were good last night. Brilliant last night, um, and I can't believe they haven't given been given as much credit as they deserved, Dan, because they're a hell of a team. They play really good football. The goal they got last night, the first goal, was as good a team goal as I've seen in the League of Ireland. If that had been scored against the League of Ireland team in Europe, we'd be talking about how we don't have to touch the tactical sophistication to deal with those sort of teams 
but it starts from it starts from the goalkeeper and it starts with a simple 10 yard pass except it's executed perfectly in terms of Alan Manis's delivery his accuracy his ability to pick out Lee Grace on his stronger foot and then Sligo last Friday I was at that game in Tala really pressed Rovers and put them under a lot of pressure and basically Sligo dictated the, the terms and conditions of that game. Sligo Rovers to be clear. Yeah. yeah. Don't get in trouble, guy. Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't going to call them Sligo Corinthians, Dan, <laughs> to be fair. Um, Derry tried that last night. Grace's pass to Richie Tile takes three Derry players out of the equation. Richie Tile receives the ball just inside the Derry half. One touch to control, another touch to put it across the width of the pitch to the right-hand side. And then Tile jets off towards the opposition penalty box. I counted it from the time Manus had the ball to Tile put the ball in, following another crossfield pass in the opposite direction by Jack Byrne. 12 touches, 4 seconds. Unbelievable goal. Yeah. Top, top quality. And you're looking at that Rovers team and the tactical sophistication with which they're playing, with which they're coached. And you're looking at a side... That is going to do serious, serious damage in Europe. Yeah, I think I think well the hope would be. I mean, and because they don't have to adjust. No, and Murray Higgins oh. spoke about the, the Jack Byrne freedom. I think as well, it's, it makes a big difference to Jack Byrne. I think in twenty twenty three is is much better than Jack Byrne in twenty twenty two, and I think that's um, that was just evident last night. I know Derry missing a few players in the spine of the team. Connolly, Dummigan, probably. I think Dummigan in particular. I don't think Jack Byrne would have got an easier time if he was there, but. Um, Look, I mean, they they they've gone to their home of their supposed rivals and 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 beat them pretty comfortably. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Um, we've got some business to do. Actually, last week's quiz question. So last week's quiz question was a for the the guy to try Rascals Brewery. A little bit more variety, a little more thinking time in it. It was because Barry Murphy was in and uh, named the three uh, current League of Ireland managers who played in the Dublin Super Cup in 2011 for the League of Ireland I did give a little bit of a hint that it's not just men's team managers um, so Danny Murphy of the Cork City Women is one of the three um, Rory Higgins we mentioned and John Russell um, not as many right answers this week um, but we had a fair few entries and yeah Killian Fitz uh, you, you get your guided tour of Rascals Brewery um, and this week's question um, to care for my phrasing of this um but I, I guess this should be straightforward, I think. Um, but I, I don't know if, if people might need a little bit of thinking time. Could you name the longest-serving uh, current League of Ireland club who haven't played in European football? So, um, yeah, the club that spent the most seasons in the League of Ireland, it's currently active in the League of Ireland, that have never played in Europe. So, to be clear, um, pedants, we're not talking about like Cork City are Cork City. You know, they have been in Europe and recently Waterford FC, Waterford United. We're, we're not getting into trading companies. We're talking about recognised entities as we know them. Um, I think there's four teams in the, the first division who've, um, it's a big clue, who've never, well, I think everyone would be aware that all the Premier Clubs have been in Europe, who haven't played in Europe. It's obviously not Kerry. Um, so you can you can figure out maybe who it is or not. Get your entries in as ever, LOI Central Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and now we'll have another prize to give away in a minute because we're going to move on to the mailbag. Everyone's crazy about a sharp-dressed mailbag, am I right? These electronic letters have style for miles, so let's dig in. Okay, so yeah, some of these mailbag comments are a little bit out of date just with the, the Tim Clancy news. So um, yeah, I, I apologise to those people, just didn't get in there quickly enough. And Bohemian villain, Colin Healy, first managerial casualty. Um, not so, although Colin Healy, very... Um, 
very animated after the the game, uh, Gary, like critical of refereeing standards, but just really not sure if you heard it, but like just particularly irate. And he's not someone who maybe invites a lot of media attention or scrutiny, um, but he was properly wound up. But I think there was there was a comment in here uh, from someone. Apologies, don't have your name. Can UCD do to Finn Harps? Um, due to Cork City apparently what they did um, to Finn Harps last year now to me yeah. I mean used to, like, used to did well last year but I think Harps really like to pitch and lay it I feel like that won't happen with Cork City but um, it's, a, it's still a bit worrying from them there there's a gap has cropped up and Healy does seem to be just under a little bit of pressure going by some of his comments well, it's a huge job when you look at guys the stadium you look at the crowds they're getting and you look at the fact that it's his hometown club. It's always much harder to manage your hometown club than it is to be an outsider going in there, Dan. So that's a factor. I don't think this UCD team is as strong as last year's UCD team. And also, I think the Cork City team are better than yeah, and he, last year. Yeah, and, I used to, and you can't see that happen. No, and he used to could potentially lose a few in the summer as well. So like that's that's an issue. And they're, they're, they're coming from a, a weaker base than they were last year. But um, yeah, we'll... we'll We'll see. Now, uh, let me see um, Instagram. and uh, It's only a matter of time for Shams catch Bows. I don't know where you're coming from with your Shams. Um, where do you think Bows will finish the season? Top three. It looks like, I mean, because I know Chippy from Bows, who um regular contributor who has this thing on Twitter every week about Bows moving away from the relegation trouble, just completely reverse psychology crap, um, is talk, asking about predicting the top four. And it, I think, yeah, look, Bowser are just building up such a cushion of points now that it's not quite at the stage where you can't see them finishing out of the top three. I don't think you can say that. Um, but they're just that bit more consistent. Whereas, like, you saw Sligo Rovers last week, who now you're looking at them, they win in Pats. You feel like they should have more points on the board with some of the games they've lost. I mean, are they a top four side? Yeah, they were brilliant on Friday. And Bradley, after that, remarked that, in his view, they're the best team that faced this season. They were outstanding. Again, we go back to the tactical intelligence with which they played and with with which a lot of teams in the league are playing from what I've seen this season. And they were so well set up. They were so clever. They were able to outnumber Rovers in different areas of the pitch, except on two occasions they left too many gaps at the back and were punished. Well, Rovers, Shamrock Rovers had only two opportunities, but converted both of them. Sligo had seven, possibly eight reasonably good opportunities two in the last two or three minutes deserved to draw could have won but didn't have the streetwise elements to their game that Shamrock Rovers had and that ultimately was the difference can they finish themselves for absolutely but then so can Dundalk basically so far you're looking at five teams that I think are above the other five Dundalk Sligo Bows Rovers and um Derry yeah I think very better. Well, I think Pats, yeah. We'll see what happens with Pats. And I think Shells like are are creeping along as well too. But I think uh, again, like you know, who will Pats appoint now? What way will they go? Still have a pretty good squad. Um, it doesn't take much to get a team involved in that discussion. But I think Sligo Rovers definitely are, are sleep, slipping under the radar a little bit. Um, yeah, Barry Kerr. Only three Irish players start for Dundalk for used to the yesterday. Is this a record low for the LOI? Can't recall a lower number for Dundalk even during the crazy peak six years. That just came in just before we went on air, Barry. I'd like to do some research on that. I think at various times over the years, there's been weird experiments at various clubs like Athlone and a few places. 
I kind of wonder would we have had something comparable but is a talk a talking point Robert McKay um, Rovers were top drawer last night as a Derry fan Derry lacking leadership and Jack Byrne please go to America yeah I think a lot of people wishing that was the case from other clubs um, there was a bit of comments about Colin Whelan's injury I thought Kev who but a little bit harsh um, for Colin Whelan he cried and then played on the last 20 minutes but nothing wrong with him I don't think that's going to age well as a comment Kevin Um Anwar, um, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on the collective groans from the GA fraternity. The more games weren't televised over the weekend. Um, the audacity that they would have to use a streaming service to watch live games. It's funny, Finch, I see Finch and O'Toole, who used to work with you in the 42.e, one of your former stops. I think at the, on a Monday or Tuesday, I think he posts up on Twitter, like, uh, live GA games this weekend. And it has to go into a second, a second tweet, like with all these games. I mean, it's a different, it's a different world, really, isn't it? You know, the, the exposure. And even like TG Carr and what they do. I mean, there's multiple games and we're sometimes uh, very excited about one on a weekend. Yeah, but they'd back it up with the uh, with the viewing figures. Now, yeah. And they'd back it up with the attendances of matches. Like, the biggest attendances in Irish sport this year are going to be in GAA. Mm. They're, they're going to sell out Croke Park on at least four occasions. That's 82,300. Yeah, but I suppose you, you might necessarily said about some of the ladies' football and the under-20 games that they show on TG Carr, which is an incredible thing. I think it's not going down the road of saying they shouldn't be shown. It's just interesting in the sense of uh, it's assumed, you know, and, and, and in the league where you're always fighting for it. I think that's the contrast, you know. But when you look at it, Dan, it's a commercial world. So they're obviously, they're not doing it for the good of their health. They're doing it because they're getting a return. And you have to really ask the question, why are they not doing it for the League of Ireland? Probably because they're not getting the return. Mm. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm yeah, yeah. No, no. I think I think the viewing figures have to work. Yeah, no. Answer to the question. Yeah. And the GAA is deeply popular in this country. You don't have to like it, but you have to recognize that. Oh, yeah. And that's where I come to. I think um, the Virgin Media one, um, I'd say we, we probably will have more than the one game. So we'll see what happens in that. Might have some news on that in the... In the in the coming weeks, um, a lot of comments about Rovers being miles ahead of everyone else. Uh, the front first doing that one down. Rovers miles ahead. They were definitely a much better team than Derry last night. But let's look at it from a different perspective. Had Derry scored that penalty and a brand Mar just kicked the ball into the stand, it's a one-one draw. Well, not really. I mean, it's not because like the the penalty happened with five minutes to go, and the whole pattern of the game was dictated by. Like Rovers had the lead, they had the managers. Like I I don't know if there was enough evidence from the first half from Derry to think. I know Barry Higgins referenced it. Okay, if they go in a half time one nil down, maybe they could regroup and come out with a different plan in the second half. And it's one goal, but you're sort of banking down on Rovers going into their shell at one nil. Which I mean, a couple of times this season they have done that. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm wary of like you taking one game when that's it. The league title race is over. I mean, Rovers have still got Europe to come. If they do well in Europe, weirdly, it can impact their title challenge. We saw that last year and they sacrificed Europe. Um, but I, I think it's more a case of like not seeing enough from Derry who are the most likely challengers yeah. and particularly they're not winning games consistently at home and well, if there's, there's no three times at home if there's no fear factor about your home ground yeah. um, then winning a title is going to be it's going to be complicated so now we have a few comments last week we did touch on it with Derry uh, sorry with, with Johnny um, so I, I was working on that story last week around the the FBI the, the report they commissioned uh, that they've submitted to government around uh, betting tax and looking for what they, they would deem to be a share of the betting tax levy. Um, I suppose it took off a bit. Um, 
you know, was discussed in the draw. Leo Vracker was asked about it by Aaron Reardon. Um, in some cases, it wasn't discussed at all. Um, I think, you know, some opposition parties who are getting quite close to power don't want to go there um, because it's, uh, uh, I think they're in danger of uh, being seen to alienate potential voters if they do. Um, but a few comments about this. So, um, Oriel Express for Dan, what's the next step in the betting levy reform after Varadkar's quick rejection of change? More on the works are already dead in the water. Um, and we had another comment um, as well um, from Paul. I'll just pull it up. But just, just on that, um, I, don't, I don't think anything is, is dead in the water. I think from, from I think the, the purpose of this is probably to start the discussion. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting that like this report would come out there and like straight away government would go, oh, this is a, it's a fine point you make. Um, let's look at this. I think part of the, 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 the probably the thought process here is to put it out there, like to actually raise awareness of maybe the funding that does go into horse racing and greyhound racing to get people probably familiar with those figures um, and just to get their head around it. Um, because like, we... I think, you know, and the point has been made to me uh, in the last week and um, by various people, including in political in the political world, so, like football has a terrible reputation for being like, really bad at lobbying and looking for stuff and not really having a collective voice to to explain what they do. And whatever you think of the funding to horse racing and greyhound racing, what can't be denied is that they have a brilliant lobby. Their, their argument is quite clear. The report probably pokes questions, raises questions about it, elements of the numbers, somebody's economic estimates that are thrown out, which are, to me, not much different to, like, you hear this, uh, the Euro 2028 will be worth X amount to the economy, and there's no way of really, like, you know, it's 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 someone with a with a calculator doing some sums, favourable to them. Um, but, I mean, I, Tom Burke was in touch with us, and I, I did sort of, I like this, you know, this question, he made the point. You know, there's many good people um, involved in football Ireland, both inside and outside, the LOI, but relative to that reach and participation football has in the country, the level of organi- organisation in this area has been fairly non-existent. Contrast this to how organised and influential other sports are in the area, CGA, rugby, horse racing, etc. Football really is in the halfpenny place. These sports are strong advocates fighting their corner, never shy about shouting about the need for support for these sports. As someone who has made a living out of the lobbying and advocacy profession for many years, um, I, I know Tom was in a decent line of work um, I've seen him on the news talking once or twice um, I think you count on one hand the number of conversations I've had with those in this world political business over a decade and a half while there is no doubt the, dysfun- the dysfunctional nature of the FEI in that time has probably been a contributory factor uh, perhaps the new broom and positivity around football provides an opportunity to right that wrong don't know how you feel about that well, you, you, you live in the Midlands mm. I suppose when you're involved in underage football mm. um, and yet I guess I don't know, you, you, you're probably seeing things from a different perspective there. Well, not really. Um, I'm seeing it from a perspective that is seriously underfunded. Um, I'm seeing it from the perspective that the season starts in September. It won't end for us until the end of May. And that's largely because games get postponed because of the weather. There is just a severe absence of artificial pitches in the Midlands, probably all over the country. And there's a s- severe absence of funding. And it's very, very frustrating because... You see, certain clubs get really good grants and then you go and try and hire those pitches out, but you don't get those pitches because the clubs own them. You see other clubs in different sports get really good grants, get these artificial pitches, charge top dollar to, to rent them out to the poor, basically to the poor mouse, which is soccer clubs. And it is really frustrating. It's 
just unfair and it does come down to the fact that there are better lobbyists in other sports and it it makes me bloody angry like you know yeah like yeah just because like soccer taps into a community that other sports don't you're talking about uh the working class areas like real working class areas there are a lot of kids that have very little going for them in life except for their soccer club and soccer provides a serious contribution to Irish society and it is scoffed at and it is by politicians it is only politicians only come to light when it's something like Euro 2028 yeah. and it just frustrates the hell out of me because I couldn't give a shite about Euro 2028 <laughs> yeah and I really couldn't yeah and I, wanna... I tell you what if you put if you put a 4G pitch with floodlights in our area and we are able to get kids out on a Friday night as well as and it's much better getting them out on a Friday night than it is on a Saturday morning in terms of antisocial behaviour and stuff like that. It makes a massive, massive difference to society. Yeah. And we are not getting backed. As a sport, we are not getting backed. Now stretch that to the League of Ireland level and you're looking at the grounds and they're the same as they were when I started reporting in 1998, a lot of them. And again, we are not getting the financial backing that other sports are. And that's not fair. And this, and I think the FAI are dead right. This is the first time I've ever complimented the FAI. But they are dead right to raise this issue because this issue was first raised privately in 2006 by the FAI. I remember having this discussion back then. Yeah. And they've raised it privately for 17 years and it has been ignored and they're dead right to go public. Yeah. I, I have to fight. Yeah. Paul Hogan's comments, and this is what I want you to turn to. What's Dan's opinion on the response to the betting tax articles from the political brackets, dismissive and contradictory? Uh, and the racing industry dismissive mostly brackets um, and yeah this is a point um, like I think you know in the last couple of days you've seen initially the, the sort of the government response was to just talk about the, the Deloitte report um, into horse racing and the economic value and by the way there's no denying that racing does deliver a lot a lot of return to society and no one is denying that here and I think I think you know Leave Racker's point. We don't we don't want to get into the we don't want to get into the whole thing of like pitting sports against each other, which is a very um it sounds like a very accurate statement that everyone would get on board with. But unfortunately, as we know, the whole grants the sports grant system in Ireland effectively pits sports against each other. This is when you have like a hockey pitch in someone's constituency pop up. It's naturally at the expense of something else. So actually it is. The whole nature of sports funding and the looking for sports funding in Ireland is actually competitive. So to talk about pitting one sports against the other, you know, I take the point. Um, I, I would take issue with that. But what we've seen in the last couple of days then is the response pen around. And I, like there was a, a racing podcast discussing this issue. There was an article on the At The Races website. Again, um, probably racing industry um, websites or racing sports websites. Very dismissive of this on the basis that, and it is true that this betting tax from 2009, the amount to go into it, to, into the Horse and Greyhound Fund, has been at the discretion of the Minister for Agriculture. Um, and then there's almost been this attempt to and somehow declare that. So it's been completely separate since then. So it's like this massive coincidence that every year a huge amount of money is put into the Horse and Greyhound Racing Fund that apparently bears no relation now, we're told, to the betting levy, which would be fine apart from the fact that the public record exists. And um, things that you say, um, things the government say in official channels are recorded. They exist. And if you want to go and look for them, you can find them. 2011, Michael Noonan, Minister for Finance, talking about how um, the betting tax levy is tied to funding uh, to government. You have Simon Coveney, Minister for Agriculture in 2012, 
the Minister for Agriculture, the person who has discretion for the fund, talking at that time about how you need to probably increase online betting revenues. There was an issue over getting access to online betting funds. Not going to go down that road. That could benefit funding of the horse and greyhound racing industry. You have Leo Varadkar, um, 2014. I think it was actually, you, know, you might have filed this story, but as a freelance at the time, um, talking about, as the Minister for Sport, talking about um, expanding the betting tax to benefit other sports. Um, you have the HRI chief, that's Horse Racing Ireland, Brian Kavanagh, in recent years, lobbying for an increase in the betting tax, talking about how this may benefit the horse and greyhound racing industry. So, yes, it is true that the ring, the technical term ring fencing of betting levy money um, for the betting tax, uh, sorry, for the funding of horse and greyhound racing, apologies, um, that link was formally cut to a point in 2009, but the discussion since then the trajectory of the funding, the graph, there is a clear correlation between the two. Like Brian Kavanagh from the HRI was talking about the bank tax going up and how this could lead to racing funding itself. Um, and to try and claim, as the Department of Sport have and as some racing media have, um, that there is no relationship between betting, the betting levy and the funding of their sport, it's just not credible. It's just not credible to do that. And like I think it's what's what's interesting as well is that some of it's been linked up with this this hashtag uh, stand up for racing, which ties in with something that I will be aware of myself at the moment that racing probably feels under fire at the moment because there's people in pink shirts throwing themselves around at Aintree, the Grand National, and I don't ever want to be affiliated with that. So like, you know me, I'm big time into racing, but it sort of ties into this defensiveness. The industry feels like racing feels like it's under siege. And as a result, like it's it's actually clicking into like full defensive gear mode here, rather than what this is actually about. Like, has 1.5 billion of money gone into uh, horse racing and greyhound racing since 2001? It has. It has. Um, if you now claim that this was nothing to do with the betting levy since 2009, that actually larger amounts of money from general taxation have gone in than has been reported in the FBI report. And in fact, in some ways. The premise that the, the betting tax funded these sports is almost, I'm not saying palatable, but at least there is a premise. Now that invites bigger questions about this level of funding and where it's plucked from, particularly in the in the case of greyhound racing rather than horse racing, you could argue. Whatever about the, like all these industry defences uh, from the horse racing media who also, by the way, work in other areas of the industry as well. It's very hard to find some people in horse racing media, and I consume a lot of it, who doesn't otherwise work as a, a race planner or a, a involved employee in stud farm or you can watch racing TV you'll have a, the media presenter who's also an agent and they're all like part of it like the HRI mission statement even talks about uh, the importance of like spreading the message of getting our media to spread the message right um, like everyone everyone is interconnected in that world and, and maybe this ties back to the point of like you know how football represents itself it's a broader point but there's there's a like there's a <laughs> there's an inherent link between um between between all of this and um like why then so the minister for agriculture then now has the complete power every year to decide how much money goes to horse racing and greyhound racing why isn't this subject to a wider debate like it's after races piece about the point there's a debate on this in the doll every year there isn't there isn't like there's there's a discussion it has to be brought forward but no one wants to have that discussion like last year was a couple of motions that were raised from Labour and Sinn Féin saying can we have a value for money review of this uh, the spend you know the expense of public funds it was voted down by the government end the discussion and in fact it had come up opposition TV's camera as well so 
I think the attempt to sort of like almost to use the semantics to try and, and kill this to me is is illuminating um, in a way. There's just a refusal to um, recognise that maybe giving this amount every year should be subject to scrutiny and to try and claim that it's, there's no relationship between the bet and levy and the the funding of horse racing and greyhound racing. It's just like you can stand up for racing, that's fine. But you can't stick your fingers in your ears and suspend your journalistic instincts. I think other sports are just looking for a slice. They're not looking to stop no, exactly. funding to horses. And it won't be stopped. I think the thing is, it's not going to be stopped. The, the, the point that's made, like, I think the, the response in the last week, it should be clear the racing is not, like, it's, it's a very powerful lobby, but you have to probably make a little bit of noise to just to raise awareness of the funding that is that is that is handed in that direction to make your own case. You have to play a little bit of politics. Racing is exceptional at that. You know, and as I said, I'm a huge fan. It brings a lot of benefits. I, I acknowledge it. But I mean the you know, at the moment, like when it comes to this stuff, like football gets zero percent of of of, of uh and income generated from this looking for is a slice of the pie. That's yeah. it. And that's fair. That is definitely fair. Soccer should be supported in this country. That is a very, very fair team to yeah, listen, we're going to bring in Brian Garton now. We have a couple of other mailbag comments that we've, Brian's had to listen to us ranting on here for the last couple of minutes. Um, but before we bring in Brian, uh, I did speak to a former teammate of his, Richie Tell, uh, in Derry after his uh, his exceptional goal in a fine Rovers performance. It's a good night's work, I suppose, simple, simply put. Yeah, it's, it's a great night's work, to be honest. Um, listen, this is a tough place to come, we know that. Uh, coming up here, the crowd always get behind them and, and they have a really good side with a really good manager, so... We know it's going to be tough coming up here, but thought we started the game really well, especially the the whole first half. Um, and then you probably saw a different side. It was in the second half, which we were a little bit more compact and a little bit more together as a team instead of uh, pressing the way we normally do. So at the kind of box clever in the second half, and I thought we'd done it really well. That first goal is getting a lot of love online already. I haven't even looked at my phone yet. Honestly, I haven't even taken The whole team move asked it because... I think I could see you actually pointing when the ball went to Trevor, but yeah. Jack's lot with it. You obviously, you, you, you yeah, visualised that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah we've been working on it. Um, that's why when Lee gets a ball, me and Jack try and find pockets of space. And then as soon as we pass it, we try and follow the game. Uh, and I was lucky enough that it kind of fell on the play for me. So, yeah, I was, I was delighted with the finish. It's a sweet, like, it's a sweet type of goal because, I mean, the manager mentioned, sort of reminds, reminded him of you with Dundalk when you were younger, but across your career you've had to evolve there's been times where you're deeper in games you're not even in those positions but yeah. you enjoy it that's sort of sometimes it feels like that's your natural habitat sort of breaking onto those yeah it's, that's most definitely something that I love doing um, and I think I've probably been getting back to that a little bit more this season um, I got sick about two or three weeks ago and I was on this training for 10 days and that was off the, off the back of a good month so I was a bit disappointed with picking up the illness then because from there I've been I've been fitting well over the last couple of months, which has been pleasing for me. Because last season I had a couple of injuries, which was frustrating, which I've never had in my career. So just to be back out playing now, it's uh, putting a smile on my face. What was the sickness? Well, I don't know. I was I was just ill. I t- I, to be honest, I think I had pneumonia. Um, I went to see the doc, and he said I went on to my lungs and stuff like that. I was literally the couldn't get out of bed, and then the missus had it as well. So right. it was an absolute nightmare. Now we are lucky enough the kids, uh, grand, uh, the kids' grandparents took them away to Nanzarote. So man, I just sat in the house sick for. For a week we did so right, yeah. it was a bit of a nightmare and it was but uh, yeah to be honest I feel back to back to myself now even the last probably 
the last game, didn't really feel myself, but now I feel a bit again. Was that around the time there was a bug going through the camp? Yeah, the, the Bowes game. It was yeah, the Bowes game. That's what oh, I missed that one. I did. And yeah. uh, Green, I had it. Gaz had it. Johnny Kenny had it. There was loads of us. It's slightly like I'll call you five minutes too much or something as well. Um, I'm kind of worried there's a new virus going around here. No, we don't know yeah, it was there. The nightmare it was. Um, so yeah, it was really disappointing because when you work hard in the gym and to try and not pick up injuries and try and stay as, as fit and as fresh as possible for games and then something like this happens out with the blue, it's kind of a kick in the teeth it is. But uh, yeah, as I said, I'm back back to me full health now, which is which is great and I'm loving the football. How, how are you enjoying this this stint at Rovers? Because you know, your, your time in the league previously at Dundalk, you're at a team that's trying to get to the top of the mountain to win, to get to win in the league and you did that. Whereas you've come into one that's, that's doing pretty well already and some weeks you don't play and like how have you found that sort of adjustment? Yeah, it's completely different. Um I think everybody sees when teams play against Rovers, I'd say the game goes up twenty percent like even when we played against Shells and Cork this year at Airplace. Like we watched them in previous games and the level of performance that they put in against us is always far superior. Which is understandable. We know that when teams come to Tallis Stadium, the place is rocking, pitch is perfect keeps the players a little lifted though so um, to be honest I think we handled it really well because uh, our performances have been excellent this year I know some of the results at the start wasn't where we wanted it to be but we always knew our level of performance was there so um, once your level of performance is there all the time that will right. What do you make in the league generally because um, you know, you're playing bows on Friday okay that's always a big game I guess but I mean I'm guessing a lot of the games you've played in this year have been sold out or sort of Fun houses. I mean, yeah. it's, it's something. There's something happening in the field. It's incredible. It is um, when 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 I was at the block, we were getting good crowds at the time. But now Tanner Stadium is something mad. And no ends is. I think even you see, we were watching the Bowes game before we came here. The stadium looked full, and then you see we were watching a bit of the Pats and Slide of them again. Bank holiday and people are coming out with their jobs. It's great, we play Pats, we scout full house, we play Shells, full house. It's great, it's brilliant in the league. And I think people are actually realising, you know what, you probably see the two goals to me. There's a bit of quality in the league, there is, um, and you see, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good place to be at the moment. I mean, there is, four in a row was a historic thing in the league. Um, what would it mean to you to potentially be a part of it with Rovers? It's obviously a great focus to have this season to to go for that piece of history. Yeah, most definitely, but we're always air managers, is is so clever and, and is thinking and we're always focused on the process we are and um, we know we can't look 20 games down the line because uh, we have three games this week so if you start looking at four in a row and you lose two games in a week you're never going to get there so we always try and focus on on what's in front of us and it's always the next one that's what we haven't even looked at balls we know balls is a massive game especially for the fans and for 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 ourselves as well but um, we've had to focus so much on dirty, so uh, yeah, be, our focus will switch now uh, really quickly and it's something we're really looking forward to because, to be honest, we're actually quite used to playing three games in a week after being in Europe, so hopefully it'll sound simple to set. Yeah, so Brian Gartland, you're, uh, I had to check your title, the Head of Football Operations uh, at Dundalk now. I don't know, you, you didn't hear Richie tell um, the, the clip that we've just played there, but um, I was sort of watching his goal last night and, and Stephen Bradley made the point afterwards, it sort of reminded people of of uh, of Towlet and Dock. I mean, it must be str- it's always a strange one, I think, for some of you uh, long-term uh, Dundalk squad members or staff members, as it is now, to see your ex-players elsewhere, you know, in these games. Like, Rich Towel is still associated with Dundalk in some, so many people's heads, but he's, he's doing it somewhere else now. 
Yeah, we're well used to it now with, um, I suppose, the way things are going. You look up at Derry, you have, you know, five boys there that were only a couple of seasons ago or 18 months ago with us. And, um, that's just the way football goes, you know. Players, managers, everything, nothing stays forever. and You know, cycles and people move on. So uh, you just get on with it. How are things going then for you? Because I think since you were in with us last, yeah, I think you were mulling over where where things might go for you. You had your book out around that time, and we spoke then. I think Gary, your son's reading that book at the moment. Uh, you you mentioned, but um, you mean you met you met a step into another world now. And how you find it out? It was a baptism of fire at the start. Literally uh, December went straight in. Um, Stephen had his targets. He was already talking a few. He identified a lot of players. And just trying to go get those deals done, get them in. Um, I suppose some people would be critical, saying we went a little bit late and we've gone across the water for uh, for a good few players. You'll probably bring that up because I know you mentioned it in your mailbag there. And Stephen felt he, he had to. Um, and part of the reasons there, I suppose, that clubs are doing their business better here. A lot of like it used to be the end of the season. It was a free for all. You could go and get who you wanted. But a lot of clubs had players signed back. Had the squad signed back. Had a lot of their players done a few weeks or a few months before the end of the season. There was a few good prospects in that. That maybe one or two the club really went after mm. didn't get. Um, a lot of names banded about that weren't, and that's just people feeding their own agendas. And we felt then. Stephen felt he had to go, you know, outside. He looked at other targets. Um, and I, I completely agree with him because when I looked at, I suppose, what wasn't signed and what was left, I was at a quality. Um, it was better to go go abroad uh, to the UK for a lot. And we've had to, we had to wait maybe a little bit longer because of the transfer window there. Yeah, it is different, I think, for the dock now that if you look at it now, the Shells, Bows are now full-time clubs in Dublin. Um, Shamrock Rovers, of course, and some Pats, um, and you could say, like aside from Rovers, those other three clubs have had a different, a different status at different times in recent years. I mean, you've made your life in the dock, right? But for players in the Dublin area, suddenly there's a lot more options now that didn't quite exist five, six years ago, and that must complicate things. That's exactly it. It's just the, the scenario, the landscape has changed in the League of Ireland completely, and the money has changed completely. Those clubs you named there, they're throwing out big wages. So, you know, there's no bones about it. Not just about getting the lads, you know, to come up to Dundalk. Um, if they're getting big wage there and the buzz around those clubs is going well, it, it makes it harder as well to, to get them. I'm not saying we went for some of them, but that's yeah. that's the landscape of the league now. Um, when you say big wages, what was the average wage for a player per annum in, say, 2015? And what is it? In the Premier Division, in 2015, I can only talk about Dundalk and 2015. 500 quid a week, a week for 40 weeks. Yeah, 40, 42, probably then. Yeah, next year we might have went. You got 50, 52. I'm trying to think back. I know going back. Like 20, some would say. Think about myself. I can't talk. You know. Yeah, 2018 was the year. Some would say Dundalk only went. Property full time for oh, the first yeah. time. Well, then, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Months. I know in six fifty, six hundred a week when two thousand sixteen Europa League. That's what I was getting paid. And are we talking double that, man? For for players at the top five six clubs, do you reckon? In the 
Premier League? It depends. Break down into sections. You know, you know between yourselves, the, the clubs, obviously the budgets. Um, it's obviously Rovers and Derry are budgets that are beyond. Um, their quality shows it. And then coming below that, um, the clubs that I suppose using the are doing the business well. You know that Bowes are doing great business with the club. They're they're being run really well. They've all their gates in for the for the season beforehand, so they're not speculating attendances. They've got season tickets, and that's credit to them. It's budget, but that's just I mean the landscape has changed. You look at shells and there's talk of investment. They've obviously had investment over the last while. There's talk of investment coming in there. Um, another big Dublin club, Pats, obviously. Um, going well the last couple of years and more investments sort of going behind them for resources and stuff like that so um, whereas it, it used to be you know like you say you go back to that but the money wasn't about the league there wasn't money wasn't about the country as much I was just coming back to the country from, from after a recession and football is here your last port of call where it filters the note mm, because I, I'm wondering like even with the like the 52 week deals that are around a lot more now like does that reduce the weekly wage wage for players, but it's spread out more across a year, or is it still it's still it's a very competitive? It's all relevant. Like your club has its budget, and it's just spread out. We spend it accordingly. Yeah. yeah, you get the forty-two week deal. Really, you're getting paid for that season that year. What yeah, but what are you covering over? What are you taking out? Mm. And say, I give you a forty-two week wage, and well, you're getting more there. But spread it out, spread that same wage out. Hence, fifty-two weeks, it it could be the same. So, so what do you make it so I mean it's, I mean it's a very broad comment but we're speaking before you come on about attendances and, and you know how, how that's thriving I suppose what's your sense of where the league is at generally from a levels wise you know from someone who's just stepped out as a player because um, we're, we're like having chats about who's going to be in top form we could probably give a difference okay there'll be some natural consistency I think around Rovers and, and maybe Derry um, but it feels like every other week we could have given a different four I mean what does that say it's more competitive it makes it more entertaining which obviously we've got bigger crowds at, at all the games we talked about tennises there it's brilliant to see and that's clubs pushing it you know, like, like we said about the football moving on here uh, clubs are pushing it doing work in the community doing their own marketing doing their own branding um, and let's I suppose the FEI new sort of set up and they are putting more into it they are we got to give them time Um and they've done the rebrand, so you need to get time for that to sort of develop and push on. But there's more kids into the football, you know, more kids arriving at games on a Friday night. Um, so I wouldn't be critical of the FEI. They're trying and they're putting more resources behind it in terms of the team that's behind it compared to say, five years ago. So um, let's hope that kicks on as well, like the clubs, and then you've got a double effect. But you guys were talking about funding and, and resources, and ultimately that's what it comes down to for everything. Um, oh. I was talking to you there about do sort of grounds that would probably be rated lowest in the League of Ireland or in the Premier Division and it's it's Dundalk and Drada and the two two in the same county. Um so is the support there in the background, like you say, for facilities. What difference would good stadiums make, Brad? Oh, it's big it's massive. Listen in what way? Where the country is now. Like we've moved on from the times of Nowhere's are gracious. Mm. There's a lot of notions around here. Nobody wants to be. Everyone's, you know, there's more money in the country. There's better. Everything is better. Everything's fancier. We're, you know, we're, we're a first world country as such. So people like nice things. People like sitting in comfort. If they're paying in, it doesn't matter if they're paying 15 or 50 euro. Mm-hmm. 
they want to be sitting in comfort. They want to go to the toilet in a, you know, somewhere that's comfortable. They want to stay dry under the shelter. Um, just you know, they want an enjoyable product. And you got to remember that's what it is in the end. If you want to get bums on seats, it's it's a product. You've got to sell it, and you've got to give people a reason to come, and then a, a reason to come back. I'll be honest. A lot of people, I think, they're not there just for the football. Mm-hmm. In terms of the standard of football, because what me and you might think is great football, someone else might think, "Oh, that's boring." Yeah, they want to see it like a basketball match, end to end, that exciting. You know that, and we might be saying that's rubbish football. There's no structure. They're fractured. They've got no game plan. They're not, you know, they're not tight. They're, Jesus, they're so open and they're, they're yeah. But for someone that's just a paying customer, they want to be on the edge of a seat. They want to see chances. They want to see stuff like that. So it doesn't matter if they see goals. But if they're not comfortable, they're not enjoying what they are. Like you look at Tana Stadium now in the vicinity, brilliant. And look at the crowds they're getting off the back of it. It's bit, it's brilliant, but they're getting back and they've got a, a council stadium. Yeah. Bowls are going to get one. It's brilliant. Harps are going to get one up there. Um, we see, we look around the country, Sligo, I think, have done their own work and it's their own ground and they're brilliant at their fundraising. But you get out to Waterford and it's URC. You get out to Galway and it's Connacht FA. You go to Cork and it's a Munster FA. You go to, so you need that support in the background. Yeah. You go to Derry and the new thing and that's that was council or government funded. You need that support in the background. Um, but that's not, like I said, we can always say that and we can always give out about, like, like we're saying about the horse racing and the GAA, if you're saying about the games on TV and this and that. But I think while like you always keep that element highlighted, we need to look inside and football needs to look at itself first. And like you say, everyone else lobbies well. We need to lobby. If your club is going for something, it needs to lobby. It needs to do all its work right. And once you have all your stuff done right, then you can point the fingers at elsewhere. But if we haven't done it all right ourselves first and we haven't got it, got our ducks in a row in the background, there's no use pointing fingers at elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's another thing just to mention, like the, the stuff last week. I mean, what is striking? Like how far the FBI still have to go to shake off the stench of what happened? Because it's a, just an easy it's an easy win. It's an easy response. Like, oh, the FBI, what are they looking for? And I mean, it's so effective. Like, you know, the FBI's name is a so... And I, I, I've made this point myself that like, you know, people when they talk about other sports, okay, they, they might talk about horse racing or the GEA or the... They, they tend to, to talk about the participants and the, the high-performing jockeys. We have the best jockeys or trainers or, or brilliant inter-county stars or whoever they are. But people hear the FBI and they instantly picture administrators. You know, they don't they don't think of all the thousands of people playing or, or whatever. It's it's sort of a, like, it's, it's a big issue. And I think the point is, well, if we're not, I think even here, like, you know, I, I don't certainly don't see it as my job to, like, promote football or to lobby for football. Like, that's not, that's not, that's not the way it should be. Like, you know, like you have to hold them to account and like if things are really bad, you have to like hammer them accordingly. And you don't, I don't, I don't see it as like you're, and I'm even, there's even a little bit of a discomfort around this thing of like, you know, football media covering this story and then getting passionate about wanting it for, you know, for football. It's like, well, there you go. You're like, you're, you're, uh, you're compromised here. I just think there's a genuine case, you know, oh, and, and football yeah. hasn't been organized in this area for years and, and, and needs to get, as you know, it's brilliant that. to see that report being done and, and I'm not sort of going against that. I'm saying that while we highlight, say the things like the horse racing and say you say like the TV coverage of GA or things uh, that mightn't have the viewing figures, you know, in terms of the excuse we get 
for not yeah. having games on his viewing figures and you see a couple of things that are on and you're like surely that's viewing figures aren't you know where it's around about the same as ours um, I'm just saying is that we need to make sure in the background we have you know what I mean we're doing all we can and like I know there's a couple of clubs that are really good at it um, and you could probably guess straight away and uh, uh, get the grants and um, like I know one or two of them I won't mention but they're, they're smart they're shrewd and they go they go through the process and they work the system yeah in terms of and that's what it's there for um, and that's what other sports other sports have done and then we talk about developing the like uh, I thought Bones when I was obviously involved in the PFI and I was on a meeting last year um, and there was talk of you know sort of like football and it's rebrand you know in this in the country and that sort of thing and I said well what's the first port to call as as our brand if we're the PFI if we're players what's our first port to call and like a couple of shouts whatever but it's, it's the players it's the people mm. and what the GEA does really well and it's brilliant is that it's community you know so the first port of call in every town that we've got a League of Ireland club is how each player interacts with people whether they're in the shop whether they're on a night out whether they're in with schools whether they're in with that and if you give off that feeling and that you know you're actually there and you want to be there and you're enjoying it and you, you're with people and you you get a buzz off yourself because it's done loads with yourself and schools and different things but that goes off the other way and that goodwill comes back in terms of people want you to do well want to support you want to support the club you know and then the club has a big effect in that community and it sort of bonds it and I think that's a massive thing in terms of that's forgotten about is that the people in each club and each area and the players especially because players listen you go professional and it's tough people people think oh professional football is easy see mentally it is so tough and these days even with social media um, and stuff like that it's, it's very tough because it's so up and down you're expected people the fans of short term memories and um, listen you know they're being tough Tell us what's tough. What's tough? Yeah. Right, if you're if you're never gonna make a mistake, you're not playing here. You're gone away. You're brilliant. Mm. Right. So you're here for a reason. Right. You're obviously a player's ambition is to get away. But you don't get time. See from fans and see from people. And years ago you don't hear everything. Now everything's like you can be tagged on social media, you hear every show. People are quick to give their opinion useless he's this he's that um, there's more pressure on you spotlight on you that's grand but like I said you're not getting Premier League wages you know um, the other side of it is and then players are players are normal they've got like you see I did something for um, Darkness and Delight of Piano House the other day and young males you know it's it's a it's a big problem in this country at the moment with mental health and uh, suicide and going off tangent to live with. but footballers are no different just because you're going out and do that in fact you actually have to perform your job in front of everybody every week and you get scrutinised like if I came in and sat beside you in everything you were doing you know in that week in your job and you made one mistake or something like that and I started roaring at you and shouting at you I wouldn't mind that actually. That could actually, actually we could, we could arrange that. that I actually tried well, to do that with Johnny regularly to be fair he would say right but needs it. yeah but do you get what I'm sort of putting across? It's yeah. that there's, there's no hide base. And the world now, in terms of it, is a lot of pressure on young people. And that's what I was sort of trying to highlight there in terms of the 
they're doing a lot of work in terms of suicide prevention and mental health, especially for young males. Mm-hmm. In terms of a lot of footballers are in that demographic. Mm-hmm. And then there's other pressure in terms of having to perform in front of people. And a footballer can be doing his best, trying his best, but everything is just going wrong. Every player goes through, every team goes through bad periods. And you think, geez, they've fallen off a cliff. They're not, they're not just not performing or they're not. But we've, we all, if you step back and think about it yourself, between your own ears, Oh, you've been there yourself, geez, I'm on a bad week there, nothing will go right and I'm stressed and then I'm not even thinking clearly because, you know, that's not going right, that's making things worse and footballers are no different. Can I ask you a question? When you were at your peak, Stephen Kenny was your manager. So in respect of what you've just said, how did he improve your mental resilience to perform under pressure? Stephen was a brilliant man manager and... I- was given, he's different. He's different for people. He's different for each people. See the likes of Mickey Duffy and Daryl Horgan, and yeah. you know those attacking wingers. And Stephen loved those yeah. types of players. And he's just sort of like I said it before to Danny. People are paying it to see you. They want to see you, but his, his tone, his intensity, everything changes. He's getting excited thinking about you playing, you know, and that's transferred in what he's saying to the player, and it's going through. And then, um, to me, yeah. Sometimes he'd give me an absolute hammer because he'd know I'd respond to it, but he mightn't do that to another person. And then other times he'd come over and he'd nearly make a joke, like, uh, in terms of, Jesus, didn't think you had that. And, you, you know, if it does something or whatever. Um, but he just dealt with me differently. And then he was saying, just be like, win your head. Win your, you know, he wanted me to be big, fierce, strong defender. So he, he put more demands on me, I felt, to maybe. But that was grand. I, I liked that. Uh, you're up against it. Um but at the same time, then, you know, he was very, you know, when time was right, he'd be complimentary and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, the lads, like us at the back, it was just, it was a different thing. It would be solid, be like that. But, like, the Sean Gannon, he'd be like, you're raiding, you're raiding. Be a raider up the line. Mm-hmm. And that's what Gannon was. He was out and he was gone. He was excellent. So it might have been uh, position specific and I suppose every situation is different as well, sort of thing. It means different things for different players. Mm-hmm. Just to go to your, your job now, I mean, I think over the winter, um, when you got into this, you, you would have suddenly found yourself on the other side of the table with players. Like probably, I think you did a bit of negotiation, right, with players, or you would have, I think, you know, you would have been trying to sell a club to someone. Yeah. That How was that for you? Because you know, you had your contract discussions at various times at various clubs in different ways, probably come back to Monaghan and, and Shells at the start, and, and maybe Dundalk. Now you're sitting across with a, I don't know, 21 year old who's never been to Ireland before, never played in Ireland before. How do you sell it? And do you know what? I always thought I undersold myself. When it was my own, when it was trying to get money for myself, I actually always thought I undersold it and I just settled easy. But it, because I I didn't want to go anywhere else, I loved it. Um, and that's grand. But now I'm playing with someone else's money. Mm. So it's nearly like I'm tied over there. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the biggest thing, like you say, they were selling the club. That's not about money. It's not, we want players that want to be here. So I don't want to just keep going up and up with money and having a bid and war. I want someone that wants to be here. Obviously, you got to be competitive with your wage and you got to you got to get to a certain figure, you know, but you need to have somebody that wants to be here, wants to be, think it's right for their career. You look at the profile of our team yesterday. Daryl Lee was the oldest, 25. He's only gone 25 a week or two ago in the starting 11. Mm. We've got a 20 and 22-year-old set the half we has 22, 20 year old uh, in the middle, like three, 22 year old winger, 
20-year-old winger. And there's one or two. Yeah, it's a good profile. You know but, I mean, but it's a good profile. But are you looking at? But are you then watching back going? Well, how many of them are committed to the club beyond the end of this season? Well, we've got three loans. We signed eight. We've got three loans, so we've got five players in that are contracted beyond mm. the end of the season. So they came in on on multi-year deals, as everyone says now. But I wasn't playing for that one a bit. <laughs> yeah, laid out for the scram to go with it. Um, and I think that's something that we needed to look at because obviously with with last year. Stephen came in, got a squad together late, had to get something together, and himself, Padge, Dave Mackey, uh, Borenzi, the rest of the crew did an unbelievable job, I think, obviously to get the team into Europe. I don't think they got enough credit. Um, and in terms of, if you look in the season before, the biggest jump in any team, I think we were twofold of of any anyone else in the league. Um, so I think then having to redo that again this year. Now, obviously not not as late you can do it earlier but like I said trying to get players at home uh, wasn't as easy because the landscape of the league changing um, and you just settle and get someone in because you know what I mean you want the quick you, you can get them in you want the quick but you're not confident in the quality and you think you can get better quality away now some people will think yeah do that but no it's it's about quality even getting his vision together his team together Um and again, then you need a team to to settle. I think the last few weeks we're we're seeing someone has really found their feet and their performances are are building uh, individually. And then it's been a struggle because we've had so many injuries. I think we've had about eight out injured, and any team's going to struggle with that. But when it's Andy Boyle, Pat Hobart, Dan Kelly, Robbie Benson, and uh, Greg Slogger, and then you've got a a few new lads as well but there's four or five lads you know that are experienced in the club and in the league um, it's means some boys have had to maybe do a bit more and, and grow a bit quicker What do you make of the Tim Clancy news I suppose it's the news of the day Yeah I'm, I'm surprised um, obviously listen, they were third last week were they or before so um, Second I think actually gone into one yeah. of the games yeah. So I'm surprised uh well, well, not surprised. It's mm. it's football, and um, I don't know. It says Tim's resigned there, so I don't know. Maybe yeah, mutual cons- mutual consent is mentioned, yeah. so we'll we'll see if it's so. Happening. Yeah, maybe this I don't know something not right in the back or something. But listen, it's um, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's the game. It's the game. Right. Yeah, this, this weekend's fixtures. Um, I will say this. I'll do with Johnny still to start the first division. We got Wexford against Bray. Uh, treaty against that loan Cove Ramblers Finn Harps Kerry Longford and Galway Waterford which I think you might you might be going long Gary yeah that's going to be good I mean they both lost on Monday I mean this is the thing um, you know the double header you, you lose so many storylines in it and um, you know locking on in the first division but I mean Waterford lose to Wexford and you're thinking oh god you know d- any hope Wexford aren't bad Donaldson. no no they've, yeah, they've been deceptive they've probably underperformed relative to how they've recruited mm. but did Waterford lose to Wexford you think Jesus, like this is it. Galway are going to are, are over the horizon, and Friday's not going to be that good. But then Galway lose to Longford, and Friday remains remains what it looked like at the start of the week as potentially. I mean, these games are going to define the division. It'll just be such a, an interesting day to see where they are. Having seen all the Premier Division teams so far this season, and I think it's a really good Premier Division. I think it's probably, albeit I've been dipping in and out of the league since I was covering it full time. 
up until 2007. It looks like the best league since 2006 in terms of depth, in terms of quality. I know I mentioned five teams earlier, but I actually think Shells are a very good team. Yeah. I think Drogheda are a superb side. They may not have the depth of squad, but their their starting eleven is pretty impressive. So I want to see where Waterford and Galway fit in in comparison to those teams because really they, at this stage, from the outside, it looks like Premier Division teams and or sorry, what's the phrase Premier Division teams in First Division clothing? Are the only around? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> in terms of you said there the the depth of the league, what do you think in terms of the the top standard of the league over the last few years? This year in particular, or the last few years, I didn't think when you when you were at your peak, I thought you were a brilliant team, absolutely comparable with with the best sides of, of since I was reporting on it. Really, really good. But I didn't think it stretched down to the seventh and eighth sides in say the twenty sixteen league were were terribly brilliant. Whereas, like I'm just thinking back to that two thousand and six league, Shelburne won. I remember Shelburne losing. 2-1 to Bowes that season. Gareth Farley scored a, a wonderful goal to win the game. Not that long previously, Farley was scoring uh, the key goal to keep Everton in the Premier League. And then he was scoring a key goal to get Bolton promoted to the Premier League. And here he was as player manager of a team that finished 8th that year, getting the winning goal against the eventual champions. So that's why that 2006 season to me stands out as the one that was just Way in a bubble. Like you'd shells, you'd shells cork Derry and draw that that tour. Really good. Yeah. There was a lot of money in the league. And yeah. There was yeah. a lot of money in the league, but even the teams below that, like Sligo, were pretty good. They Pat's probably had to keep Fahey at that stage. That's or Fahey, yeah. Sligo with Seamus Coleman making his debut at the end of 2006. Yeah. It was it was top quality. It was great stuff. But you knew it wasn't sustainable. You just knew it was going to end at some point, and it ended pretty quickly at the end of that year. This year, I just think there's more depth. And a likelier, it's likelier that it'll be sustainable in terms of the crowds are so impressive and the wages don't seem to be as outlandish as they were back then. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's top, it's top quality. I think the point is it's no, brilliant. No, no, there you go. Well, it's, 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 and it's the question, like, you know, the dog had the Cork rivalry and I think the, t- the point is that like the dog and Cork pushed themselves and it's the Shamrock Rovers thing that y- you're almost hoping that they have a rivalry or marriage and that's why you're looking at the Derry game yeah. thinking, oh God, like, you know, this, they're not quite, they're not quite at it there yet and I mean, Bowes, the Bowes are so annoying, we don't talk about them and they like, they keep, they keep picking up points but I guess if we did a pod on Saturday morning after UCD, I'm not sure how many Bowes fans were talking titles at that stage but then they, they beat Cork and all as well but your yeah, Friday, um, the Bulls win on Friday they go seven points no I know no no it's it's, it's they're a brilliant team it's, it's remarkable yeah and yes like the, the, the last couple of weeks away in Drawdown away in UCD mm. they haven't impressed but they've I suppose I mean like you know you just get those points on the board and you move on and, and what will Bulls do in the summer I mean that's probably the other thing as well like they definitely they probably have the budget scope to strengthen and they've got Pat Fenn and it's not just the manager doing their you know the recruiting now there's, there's a collective so anyway the fixtures are Friday we've got Shells against UCD and we've got Drada against Derry City Cork City St Pat's which is um, there's a lot there's a lot going on with that game now um, and then we've got Shamrock Rovers and Bohemians of course which is the big one Sligo Rovers Dundalk on Saturday I mean yeah Brian you are a Dundalk employee so it's probably a tough one to go into but I mean are, are Rovers winning the league like is, is, is Shamrock Rovers the team can you, can you see any other scenario whereby they don't win it I don't think they can 
it's football, like I said earlier, nothing surprised you. Um, but they're the, they're the people to chase, and that's just proven. It's you know, if they're the champions already, and uh, they're in great form the last few games. I think the international break came at a great time for them, and they've kicked on since then. It's sometimes it helps teams, sometimes it hinders them. Help them. Obviously, they didn't have a great start, but it gave them the little break, little breather, and then you come back and you nearly forget about any of the sort of the game the week before. You know, it's it's gone out of your mind in terms of we lost or we drew with that, and they've been they've been very good since then. Mm. Interesting what happens with Pats. Now, interesting. Uh, did Gary you even used interesting, which is a typically you've slotted into Johnny Ward's shoes by using that word. I mean, what will happen with Pats between now and then? Any other ex internationals in for the gig? I wonder. Um, there's a lot to. Not to consider. I'll see where we're going to be next week. Um, I'm, I have a feeling it'll be, it'll be, it might be a Pat's heavy show next week. But um, Gary, it's been great having you in to, to step in for step in for Johnny. Johnny will be back. Brian, we, we, we're we're delighted to have you in as ever. And uh, best That's of luck good. with your uh, your business. Now, you're still doing the food, are you? We're wondering about this. Dell was yeah. asking us this. I mean, you are like the entrepreneur. You've got other things going on. You're still uh, well, nude foods, is it? Nude foods, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going all right. We're going well, but it's not without its. Uh, and that is mental since we set up what was it a year and a half ago when I was in here last year with a box of food for you yeah um, but inflation is just mental so uh, listen we've got through a tough period there we're, we're still alive so you need, you need to get lobbying that's what everyone needs to get doing you know yeah. you, you can turn it around um, but if Johnny will be back next week mailbag I didn't actually announce I think Paul Hogan um, got, a, got a topical question so I've got a collar and cuff voucher your direction Paul and yeah listen, thanks as ever to our sponsors to collar and cuff um, to Future Ticketing and to Rascals Brewery uh, yeah we'll be back again next week